One of my favorite television shows to uh, watch when I was a child was uh, hosted by Art Linkletter. And in fact, the show's format has made a return to television now as it's hosted by Bill Cosby. The show is Kids Say the Darndest Things. And it focuses on the unique way that children perceive the world around them. And so I want to just share with you a couple of examples of how unique the view that children have are of the world in contrast to those of us who are more mature and adults. There was a wife who invited several people to dinner, and at the table she turned to their six-year-old daughter and said, Honey, would you like to say the blessing? The little girl looked at her and said, Mom, I wouldn't know what to say. And so her mom said, Well, you know what, just say what you've heard me say in the past, and that'll be fine. And so she goes, Oh, okay. And so they all bowed their heads in prayer, and the little girl said, Lord, why on earth did we invite all these people to dinner tonight? I like that. Or at Sunday school, they were teaching how God created everything, including human beings. And little Johnny, a child in the kindergarten class, seemed especially intent when they told him how Eve was created out of one of Adam's ribs. Later in, his, in the week, his mother noticed him lying on the couch home as if he was ill. And his mother said, Johnny, what's the matter with you? And Johnny responded, well, I've got this pain in my side, and I think I'm about to have a wife. <laughs> <laughs> And then I've got one that I need to add to the collection. Um, and I know that many of you will appreciate this one the most. A few weeks back, there was a family who was visiting here for the first time from out of town. And they brought with them their younger children as they were visiting with their relatives, and so they all came together. And it was interesting as they sat with them, and afterwards I had an opportunity to meet them. And when the, the parents were distracted visiting with some of their friends, I went over to their seven or eight-year-old son, and I said hi, and I introduced myself, and he told me his name. I said, um, so, uh, wh what did you learn this morning? And he looked at me, like some of you look at me when I ask the same question. <laughs> and he looked at me and, and he said, um, well, you know what, I, I learned, and I'm like, wow, uh, I learned that when I get to be older, I I'm going to you, give you some money from the job that I get. And I went, well, that's interesting, that's really nice of you, but uh, how did you get that out of what I talked about this morning? He said, well, because my dad, when we were walking out, I heard him say, you're one of the poorest speakers he's ever heard. <laughs> so never think more highly of yourself than you ought to affect sound judgment. I guess the point of all that is that children have a somewhat naive view of life, and they're limited in their understanding, and they're childish in their behavior. And, uh, and that's why it should be the goal of every parent to lead our children on the road to becoming mature and responsible adults. And every one of us that are parents understand that that is our responsibility before God, to train up our children in the way that should go, which is God's way, and when they are old, they won't depart from it. Our responsibility as parents is to train up our children, to teach our children to become responsible adults. One of the things that I've always looked at in my own mind is this, that our job as parents, our goal is to train our children in such a way that they become independent of us as parents and dependent upon God as adults. And that's really our responsibility. And so understanding our responsibility it should come as no surprise that God's desire for us is the same as every good parent. He wants us to grow spiritually 
He wants us to grow, as, as we mentioned last time we were together, he wants us to grow up, and he doesn't want us just to be content on growing old. God's desire, as any good parent, is that we would grow into becoming mature and responsible men and women of God. That we become ch children of God to those who believe in the name of Jesus Christ, but the goal of God is to produce mature adults. Those who are used by God to, to make a difference in the world in which we live. God's desire is that each of us are conformed into the image and likeness of his son. That we become more like Jesus Christ every day. And if you recall from the last time that we got together, <clears throat> we asked the question, and it should be one that we ask ourselves each and every day, and that is, in this situation, what would Jesus do? He wants us to become just like our teacher. He wants us to become disciples, which is a learner, open and teachable. He wants us to be like our master as we learn from him each and every day. And he, and he also wants us not only to become disciples, but it's also commanded that we then in turn make disciples or we in turn reproduce. And that's the goal of God for each one of our lives. To ask that question, what would Jesus do? I like it, another story of a mother who's preparing pancakes for her sons. They're ages five and three. One's named Kevin, the other Ryan. The boys began to argue over who would get the pancakes first. And their mother saw the opportunity for this lesson. And when she said, now if Jesus were sitting here, he would say, let my brother have the first pancake. I can wait. At which the older brother turned to the younger and said, Ryan, I've got an idea. Today, why don't you be Jesus? <laughs> we're like that, aren't we? And some of us, we never outgrow that. And so God wants us to grow up, and he doesn't want us to just grow old. As we recall from the last time we were together, we began to look at and concentrate um, our studies in the book of James, and we were starting to ask four important questions. We answered three of them. I'm going to take a look at the fourth as an introduction into what our topic is for today. But in James chapter 1, we're introduced to the person of James who wrote the letter of James. Don't, don't ever misunderstand that all scripture is, is uh, inspired by God that it's inspired by God, it's not, it's not something that a man came up with an idea and he thought I'd write down some thoughts, that the Holy Spirit of God moved in the hearts of men whom God has chosen to record for us the very words and the wisdom of God in written form. James was the half-brother of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And what's interesting is if you've got your Bibles, you'll notice that he introduces himself as a servant. He doesn't come off and say, hey, you know what, I'm James, the half-brother of our Lord, and if I were you, I'd listen up. He says that, you know what, I'm James, but I also want you to realize that I'm a servant of God and of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, what's fascinating about that is this, that as I was thinking about it throughout the week, and as was just mentioned earlier this morning, and that is this, that oftentimes we think a lot more highly of ourselves than we should. Because the only way that you and I can think very highly of ourselves is not understanding exactly who God is and who we are in light of who God is. And so, James, you know what one of the, the most common arguments of the disciples was on an ongoing basis? The most frequently argued concept was this. Who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God? Could you even imagine? In fact, there was one point where Jesus was up ahead of his disciples, and he heard this big commotion going on behind him, and he turned and he looked at him and said, what are you guys arguing about? And they said, uh, nothing. They didn't want to tell him. Because the Bible tells us that they had been arguing about or over who would be the greatest in the kingdom of God. In fact, it was the, the, the uh, mother of James and John, the, the sons of Zebedee, who asked Jesus at one point, Hey, uh, Lord, I got an idea. Would you mind if my two sons sat on your right and on your left when you establish your kingdom? 
the big argument was which one of us was the greatest. And I think that is very telling to us as far as their relationship to Jesus Christ at that point in time. They thought, for some reason, that they could be co-leaders with Jesus, as if he needed help. But as we see the progression that takes place in spiritual growth, we find that these men who at one point argued as to which one of them would be the greatest in the kingdom of God and who would sit at the right and who would sit at the left, the longer that they grew in their faith and the closer they became to Jesus Christ and the more they saw their, his perfection, the more they saw their imperfections in light of his perfection. And you know what? They didn't argue about it anymore. In fact, they all came to the realization that every spiritually mature Christian comes to the realization that that's this, that you know what? There's only one God and we are here to serve him. We need him, and it is a privilege that he even uses us. And we need to recognize and understand that. He is God, and we are not. There's a lesson for today. But James understood it. And he says, that, you know what? We're no longer arguing about which one is going to be the greatest, because there's only one who is great, and he is God. And so James was the half-brother of our Lord, but at the same token, he was a servant and he was a bondservant of God and, our, and the, of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wrote to the 12 tribes that were dispersed. They were Christian Jews who had been dispersed because of disobedience to God. Also that God used them to scatter seed, so to speak. The diaspora was a scattering of seed. And as God scattered his people, it was like a wildfire that took off. It was like embers in a fire that as the wind whips up and blows these hot embers all over the place, man, fire started springing up all over the place. And it is the way that God uses to get his word out into the world because most of us are content to stay exactly where we are and God has to do some things sometimes to get us to where he wants us to be and that's exactly what happened why did he write because there are some very specific problems that were going on with this group of people but all of the problems or symptoms were a direct result of one root problem and the root problem was that they had not grown spiritually they were spiritually immature people it's as, if the, as though the writer of Hebrews reminds us that there are times in our life where God wants to just fill us up with deeper truths of God, but he has to go back to the basics and start all over again because we're not able to absorb the word because we have become spiritually apathetic. It's as if in a, in a sport, in fact, I remember one of the, the famous stories of Vince Lombardi, who was a football coach for the Green Bay Packers for a number of years, led him to many championships. There was a point in time where he became so frustrated with his team that he sat down, called them all together, brought him into the room, and picked up a football and said, Gentlemen, this is a football, and we're going to start from there. And he worked on the fundamentals to build them back into the championship teams that they ultimately became. And I think oftentimes God has to do the same with each one of us. Men and women of God, this is the word of God. We need to get back to the very basics and fundamental and understand that everything that God wants us to know and everything that he needs to enrich us, to nourish us, is found in this book. And when we do not read it and we do not intake of it, then we are going to be malnourished. And even though God wants to bring us into greater truths, he says, I can't because you don't have a foundation and you don't have a base. You have to build on the base and then I can enter, we can enter into a wonderful relationship together and you will grow spiritually. Now, the fourth question that we didn't even come to is this one, and I want to address it right now as an introduction to our topic, and it's really important that we do so because the question is this, how can we get the most out of what we're about to study? As we go through the book of James, we want to be able to get the most out of what God has to offer us. And so, number one, we need to recognize this, that in order for there to be spiritual growth, 
there must be spiritual birth. Now, I realize that that is a fundamental and it's a basic, but I am amazed at how many of us have never quite understood that. In order to grow physically, there must be first a, a physical birth. In order to grow spiritually, there must first be a spiritual birth. That's why when Nicodemus, the teacher of the law, went to Jesus at night because he didn't want any of his friends to find out he was going to Jesus to ask him some things, he went and snuck to him and said, Lord, what must I do to enter into the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus' answer to him was what? You must be born again. You must be born again. Just as we must be born physically into the physical world and then comes physical growth, he's saying in order to grow spiritually, we must be born into the kingdom of God and that's spiritual growth. And a spiritual birth that leads to spiritual growth. Now, we all understand we need two parents in order to have physical birth. And by the same token, God has given us so-called two parents that bring about spiritual birth. Our two parents are the Word of God and the Spirit of God. We need to understand that the Word of God must go forth. And the purpose of the Word of God is to do what? It is to make us understand this very basic truth. That every one of us are lost, we are sinners, we are on the road to hell. The Bible says that God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, John chapter 3, verse 18, because the world had been condemned already. The Bible tells us that through Adam, sin entered into the world and sin brought forth death. That we die physically and we died spiritually because of what God calls sin. Sin is the violation of the perfect standard of God. The only way any of us can get into heaven is to be perfect, and there isn't any of us who can acknowledge that we're perfect. We all think we're good. We all think that based on somebody next to us, we're better than them, that God will grade on a scale, and as long as the, the curve is where I need it to be, then I got a chance. But God says, you don't have a chance because my standard is perfection. You have got to be perfect to enter into the presence of a perfect and holy God. Now, the reason the Word of God goes forth is because it's the Word of God that convicts us of sin and the Spirit of God that convicts us of sin and righteousness and judgment. See, the Word of God says, you know what? There are none that are righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. As good as you think you are, when you stand next to perfection, you realize how imperfect you truly are. The purpose of the laws of God was to reveal that man had no chance in ever being perfect. The purpose of the laws of God, the Ten Commandments and all the other commandments that are there, that you honor God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Have you always done that? Have you always put God first and we say no? Well, have you always honored your parents? Well, you know, I thought no, well, no, not really. Have you ever lied? Yeah, well, kind of, but it was not really a lie. It was like, it was, oh, what do you want to call it? It was a lie. Have you ever, you know, have you ever stole, have you ever coveted your neighbor's goods? Have you ever somebody drive, seen somebody in your neighbor's man have a nicer house or nicer car, or nicer wife, whatever it is that was nicer, and you go, wow, I should have that. Why don't I have that? Because you know what, after all, I'm better than them. And so what the laws of God have done is they, they lead us, listen to me, the, those laws lead us to realize, you know what, we're in deep trouble. What God says about us is true. I am a sinner I'm on, my, on the road to hell. I need forgiveness, and that's what the law does. The Word of God convicts us of sin. And the Spirit of God tells us, hey, what's being said is true, isn't it? And the laws of God are a tutor. They are our teacher to do what? To lead us to Jesus Christ. You shall call him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. 
there's no other name or authority under heaven by which man can be saved than what? Than Jesus Christ. For as many as received him, to them he has given the privilege to be called children of God to those who believe in his name. Listen to me and listen to me carefully. The reason that we preach and teach the word of God is because the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. It's able to separate the bone from the marrow. It is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, and training the man of God in righteousness. And it, and it is part of the process God must take us to because we are saved from our sin by faith and faith in Jesus Christ and not of ourselves. It is a gift from God, so no one can brag in heaven. We are there because Jesus Christ took our place on the cross, period. And it is our faith and in him alone that we are made right with God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And when we do not preach and teach the word of God, God cannot bring about the miracle of spiritual birth. Anything else is a cheap substitute, and it is not authentic. There is no way a person can say, I've got Jesus missing in my life. I think I'll add him without being convicted of sin prior to that to realize that you need a Savior because you're lost. You need forgiven because you're guilty. And for those who teach that all you've got to do is add Jesus into your life, they have not taught the gospel. The gospel says that we are sinners, that we are lost, that we are on our way to condemnation. And if it wasn't for God intervening on our behalf, and yet while we we're sinners and sending Jesus Christ to die in our place, that there is no hope for any of us. Jesus Christ intercepts us on the road to hell, and he says, come and follow me. And there are those who receive him and follow him. There are those who say, I don't need him, and continue on the course that leads to destruction. There's a way that seems right to man, but its end is destruction, and only God's way is right. So as we look at this, we need to realize and examine ourselves. Have you been born again according to the Bible? Because if you've been born again, then and only then do you have a chance to grow spiritually. Everything else that we'll talk about is nonsense, and you won't be able to do it because you don't have the power of God living within you in the presence of the Holy Spirit to do the things that God is requiring that we do. The second thing is we need to examine ourselves. We need to examine ourselves honestly in light of the Word of God. James 1.20 says, as we study the Word of God, we're looking into a divine mirror. I love the story that I heard of a missionary, a missionary group that had gone into a, group, a grouping of people that had never seen the outside world. And as they developed a relationship with him, uh, one of the guys was shaving one day and he had a mirror that was hanging by the tree. And one of the local natives came over to him and looked and, uh, and tried to figure out what was going on. And the missionary turned the mirror around and he, looked, and, he, and he pointed it toward that particular native. And that native went crazy as he saw this image that was in this, in this mirror. And he was so frightened by what he saw, he smashed the mirror into a thousand pieces. And as I thought about that story, so many of us as Christians are just like that. See, the word of God is a mirror that reflects who we really are and what God sees. And as we look into the mirror, so many of us, what we want to do is we want to smash the mirror instead of working on the image. And so what we do is we put the Bible away, we blame the person who's teaching or preaching, and we say it's all their fault, and they don't know what they're talking about, but it's the Word of God that goes forth and says, this is who you really are, whether you like it or not, deal with it. We need to examine ourselves in light of the Word of God. We need to obey the Word. We need to be doers of the Word and not hearers only. Everything that we learn is for the purpose of putting into application. There's no, nothing more frustrating in the world than to see people who believe or say they believe in Jesus Christ, that they believe in him, that they follow him, that he's their, you know, they're, they're his disciples, and yet they don't apply anything that they learn. 
And the world around him goes, I don't get it. What's so great about being a Christian? Because we're all doing the same things. I guess I am one too. We need to obey the word, to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And we also need to recognize this. We need to be prepared. And you say prepared for what? Prepared for extra trials and testings. I will guarantee you this, by the authority given to me by the word of God, that when a person gets serious about spiritual growth, all hell will break loose against them. It's the truth. We're going to talk a little bit more about that, but it's true. When you say, Lord, I want to get serious about you, then guess what? Then you got a whole bunch of troubles that are about to start. Why? Because now you're a threat to the enemy. You weren't before. In fact, you were an assistant. Those who say they're a Christian but don't live like Christ are really assisting the enemy because all it does is spread confusion in our world. I'm a Christian. You must be a Christian. We're all Christians. We can do anything that we want, and God has to receive us just as we are, and there's no standard that God has set. And you know what? That's wrong. And we're going to see that. Be prepared for extra trials and testings. Also, I'm going to encourage you, don't give up and don't quit. More on that in a minute. And the last thing is we must measure growth. Say, how do you measure growth as a believer? How do you measure growth as a person that says, I want to be more like Jesus? You know how you measure growth? Against the word of God. You do not, and I do not measure my growth compared to you or me or the person sitting next to you, or the person that invited you. We do not measure spiritual growth by what we see happening around us. Just as you don't tune a piano with another piano, you use a tuning fork, we must also use the Word of God to measure our spiritual growth and the Word of God alone. If we start comparing ourselves to one another, I will guarantee you this, the bar is going to drop real quick. The standard of being perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect is going to drop fast because it doesn't take long to rationalize or justify in our own mind finding someone who we're better than, whether we're right or not. Now, turn with me to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, starting with verse 1, we read these words. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. The word greetings actually means rejoice. It says, Considered all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect, mature, and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously and, re and without reproach and it will be given to him. It says, But let him ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man unstable in all of his ways. But let the brother of humble circumstances glory in his high position, and let the rich man glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass he will pass away. It says, for the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass and its flowers fall off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too, the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Blessed is the man who per perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. 
How many of you can recall from your younger days listening to the radio or watching television and having it interrupted by the announcement that the station was going to test the emergency broadcasting system? Remember that loud, annoying noise that seemed to last for eternity? That 30 seconds or 60 seconds? Do you remember how often it came on right at the best part of your program that you were listening to or watching? It was kind of like a major interruption. And since there was never any warning, you just kind of had to sit there and you had to deal with it. The station just broke in and made its announcement and did its test. I was reminded of that as I read this passage because as I read, read this, I realized that you know, troubles of life are just like that. They often come with no warning. Just the announcement. This is a test. And we can only hope that it will last 30 seconds or 60 seconds. But they rarely ever do. They usually last a little longer than that. And so life's tests and trials just show up in the most inappropriate times. And in this session, I want you to see why God puts trials in the path of his children and how he uses those to cause a growth in our life. And how he wants us to be growing through our trials instead of regressing. We're either going forward in our relationship with God or we're going backwards. There's no in-between. And we need to recognize and understand that we need to be growing through our trials. And so basically that's going to be the focus of what we discussed this morning as we look at this. And there's several things that I want you to take note of. The first one is this, and that is the reality of trials. You know, we see throughout Scripture that trials are an inevitable reality in life. And uh, read commands like, Consider all joy when you encounter various trials. And the first thing that we look at is this, or understand about trials, is the inevitability of trials. The inevitability of trials. You know, it's interesting, as, if you notice, the Bible doesn't say, if you encounter trials or tests, it, it talks instead about when you encounter these trials. Trials are inescapable. The Bible is very clear. The book of Job, for example, says in verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 7, that man is born for trouble as the sparks fly upward. Jesus reinforced this truth when he said, hey, in the world, you will have tribulation. You're going to have difficult times. And it's important for us to realize this because anyone who tells you, hey, all you need to do is put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and guess what will happen? All your troubles will be behind you. Is either intentionally lying to you, or they are highly ignorant of the Bible. Because the Bible clearly teaches that, you know what, as I mentioned a minute ago, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, some of your troubles are just ready to begin. Just the way it is. Some of your troubles will just begin. Some of the testing will just start. Some of the trials are just about to take place. And it's important that we recognize and understand that. You know why? Because so many people as they put their faith and trust in Christ based on this lie that they were told, hey, the only thing you're missing in life is Jesus, add Jesus, and all your troubles will disappear. Hey, the only trouble that disappears when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and don't minimize it, it's the biggest trouble of all, and that is our condemnation before God. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we will never be held accountable for sin. Jesus paid the price once and for all. The Bible says in Romans 8, 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So our troubles with God, as far as salvation is concerned, end the moment we put our faith and trust in Christ. But our other troubles and trials are just about ready to begin. 
And we need to recognize that and understand that because our enemy will attack us. And not only will our enemy attack us, and it's important to realize, but God also uses testing to bring about ultimately our spiritual maturity. So I want you to know something else here, and that is this, that trials come, as they say, various uh, trials. They're multicolored is the actual definition of what it means to have multicolored trials, various trials. God is saying, don't be surprised when difficult times or testing takes place. In fact, 1 Peter 4, verses 12 through 14, reiterate that truth where God says, why are you surprised when you are now tested in this area of your faith? Don't be surprised. That's part of God's plan. It's part of his program. Don't be shocked because, as, as you know, the bumper sticker says, trials happen. And so we need to realize that. <clears throat> trials happen. And... Um, and they, and they come in what's called multicolored uh, format. It literally means to have in many different shapes, sizes, and colors. Sometimes our trials are physically colored. Uh, for example, it's maybe bad news that you get from a doctor. It's uh, a physical problem that continues to go away and colors the day for you. It's something physical that just won't go away and it maybe it makes you look at the world around you in a somewhat negative way. You know, there are physical trials that we have to deal with. Sometimes they're emotional trials. Maybe it's something that's taken place and it's plaguing your heart that has taken place in the past and you can't forget about it and it bothers you on an ongoing basis. And it makes the life around you uh, seem a little bit gray or a little dark. Uh, maybe it's a time of mourning for someone that you've lost and you go through all of that. In fact, my wife Linda is back in Pennsylvania to be with her mother because she's going not only through physical difficulties but also emotional pain and mourning the husband of 53 years not long ago. And it's a very difficult time. And sometimes our physical and our emotional are all tied together. And, and, and a lot of times that's the case. It's hard to know sometimes if what we're going through is actually physical or is it emotional, is it spiritual, is it mental, and it all interacts and we're not really sure exactly what it is, but they come in multi-colors. Sometimes they're financial trials, and they come in the color like a pink slip that lets you know that your employment is about to end. Or maybe it comes in the color red ink that lets you know that you got a little bit more months than money. They come in all kinds of different colors. Or maybe it's a family trial, the death of a loved one, the illness of one, or a child who's causing you grief. Maybe some marital strife that's going on, and all these things darken your day. And as we look at this, we realize that there isn't any one of us who can say in good conscience before God that, you know what, I can't relate to this. We can all relate to this. We all understand this. Now the question for you is this, what are we supposed to do about this? And that comes to the next point that he wants to get across, and God wants us to understand there are reasons for trials. There are absolutely godly, biblical reasons to go through trials and testing. There are biblical reasons. See, the Bible doesn't shy away from telling us either and, and avoiding the answer that, that I so often ask of God. And as a God, why am I going through this? Why are we going through this? Why is this happening to us? Why me? Why us? Why now? Why this? And we struggle with these things, and that's okay because God knows our heart anyway. And, he, and there's no, hey, I don't hesitate. God, why? What's going on? Let's talk. Show me. Help me understand. Why am I going through this? What are you trying to teach me? What can we learn? What's going on here? There's nothing wrong with that. And God doesn't hesitate to give us an answer either. And I'll tell you why it's so important to know why we go through trials. Because if you don't know why, you will become very discouraged. 
if you do know why, and you can connect what God says in His Word to the event that you're going through, then guess what? You will find tremendous encouragement and tremendous hope because you know this, what? That God is in control. That there is a reason behind what we're going through at this moment in time, and I want to know what that reason is, and God, show me the reasons why we go through trials. And he says, fine, I will teach you right now if you're willing to learn. If you are going through a trial or a testing, a difficult time, in whatever form it's come, in whatever color it's shown up at your house, let me just tell you this. If you're willing and ready to learn why you're going through it, then God has right now a message and lesson for you. Number one, the reason we go through trials according to the Word of God is to test our testimony. To test your testimony. God puts trials in our path to test our faith. Notice that. He says, knowing that, in verse 3, the testing of your faith. God tests our faith. Do not ever misunderstand that. Our faith is put on the witness stand before the world around us by the trials that we are going through. God tests our faith. God could have stopped that trial from ever taking place. Do you realize it and do you understand that? God could have put a stop to it before it ever got to your house. But he didn't. And he didn't for a reason. Sometimes I don't know the individual reason, but I know the big picture. And the big picture here is to test our testimony before God and before the world. He could have put a stop to it. When God allows a trial to reach us, he does it for a specific purpose. He wants us to know what, what he already knows, and that faith is somehow or another, as we look at this, it, it's strengthened by testing. Trials put our, a test to our heart and reveal what's really there. You know, you realize that we wouldn't know the imperfections that are there and need to be removed if the fires of trials did not reveal them. Trials are designed to call our faith to the witness stand to validate and experience what we declare that we believe. I want you to stop and listen to me for a second. In the parable of the sower and the seed, the word of God goes out, and it goes out equally all over the place, but there are certain types of soil that it lands upon. There's a soil that has no need for it and doesn't receive it at all. There's a soil that receives it, but it has shallow roots. It professes one thing, but in, in actuality, it's something totally different. And you know what's interesting about it? In Mark chapter 4, if you want to look at it, I want you to notice something as it relates to trials. In Mark chapter 4, in verse 14, it says, The sower sows the word of God, and these are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And, and when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. I guess in, in our common vernacular it would be this. You are here today, and the word of God is being sown. It's being thrown out. The Spirit of God is convicting you. But there are those who are here and are listening to this that are hard as rock. You're stubborn, you're boneheaded, you're not listening, you're here for whatever purpose and whatever reason, but it certainly isn't they listen to the instruction of God. And so it's like bouncing off of concrete. There's nothing that will ever produce from that because you don't have a willing heart to listen to what God is saying. It says that in a similar way, there are those on whom seed was sown on the rock. Receive with joy. Oh, this is great. This is what I'm looking for. That's the answer to our problems. And they have no firm root in and of themselves, but are only temporary. When affliction or persecution or trials arise because of the word, immediately they fall away. You hear that? Immediately it's like, oh, man, this Christianity thing's a little tough. Tried that and all kind of trouble broke loose in my life. And so I don't need any of that. These are the people you hear, like the Bob Dylans of the world. Yeah, in the 60s, I tried Jesus. I tried Jesus? It's not like 
trying what? You know, avocado on your sandwich? What does that mean? I tried Jesus. Yeah, I did that once. Oh, I hear you. But when the news came out, oh, Bob Dylan or whatever became a Christian. Oh, aren't we excited? Tried that once. Why? Because there was no growth. There were no roots. There was no solid foundation. Probably was told a false gospel. Said, hey, man, all you're missing in your life is Jesus. Try him. No conviction of sin and judgment. Whatever. I don't know where his heart is today, but I'm just making a statement that he's come out publicly and said, I, I tried that once. See, the point of that is this. I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm his disciple. When things are going good and there's no price to be paid, but the moment that I have to be accounted for in my faith and trials come along and testing comes along and my faith is put to the test, hey, I'm not into that anymore. See, the only way you and I really know whether we're children of God is when we go through trials and testing and we maintain our faith before the world. Think about Job. What, did Job, what, was, the, what was the accusation of Satan before God and the life of Job? You know what he said to God? He said, no wonder he loves you. Why wouldn't the man love you? Look at everything you've given him. He's got a wife, he's got great kids, he's got a business, he's got a ton of money, he's got everything going on, he's winning Super Bowls, he's winning World Series, he's going to Disneyland. What in the world? Why wouldn't he love you? And God said, you know what? I'm going to teach you a lesson. And I'm going to teach Job a lesson. Take it all away from him. You know what Satan said would happen? Satan said, you take it all away from him, I guarantee you this, that man will curse you. God said, no, he won't, because I know his heart. And you know what? God took it all away. And you know what Job's final conclusion was? He started off by saying this, naked I've come from my mother's womb, naked I shall return, but blessed be the name of my Lord. After he struggled with the whys of everything that he went through, he came to this conclusion. You know what? I believe this. Even if God should choose to slay me, I will continue to trust in him. Remind you of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing before the fiery furnace? They were about to be tossed in if they did not reject their God and get down on their knees and worship the golden image. Do you remember what they said? Hey, our Lord can deliver us from this fire if he chooses. But even if he chooses not to, we'll never bow before your stupid God. That was a New Living Translation. <laughs> but that was, the, that was the gist of all of it. Now, don't misunderstand anything that I'm saying. There are a lot of tears that are shed in the midst of these trials. There's a lot of pain and there's a lot of suffering. But you know what's a wonderful thing is, when we know the reason for it, to test our testimony. See, when God strips everything else away in my life and I realize it's just me and Him, you know what the wonderful thing I realize is? It's just me and him. I wasn't following him because it was convenient or comfortable. And many of us, we've never paid the, paid the price for our convictions. And until we do that, we don't really own them. And so God has to, in his sovereignty, remove all of those things so we understand it's him and only him, and he's enough to sustain us, to test our testimony. I tell guys all the time, and I'll tell you, and I'll tell myself this. You know what? We have a larger audience to share with when when we are going through circumstances that they look at and say, how in the world are you getting through this? You have such peace. You have such joy. You have such confidence. You seem to have something that I don't have. Why aren't you falling apart? Because I'm anxious for nothing. 
and in everything I'm prayerful and thankful. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guards my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. Because God takes the weaknesses of this world and he perfects it through his power and his strength. As Paul went through a trial and testing in the physical color, and he asked God to take this away from him, God said, no, no, no. And the reason he said no was so that Paul would always be reminded that in his weakness, Paul's weakness, God would perfect his strength. Testing of our testimony, not only before the world, but even in our own heart, in our own mind. You know what? Job passed the test. Just as the Apostle Paul said at the end of his life as he was tried and tested over and over again, he said, you know what? I have fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've run the race. And I can't wait and look forward to the day that's coming shortly when I will be in the presence of my Lord, my Savior, my teacher, my master. And the only way he knew it was through all the experiences of life that he really had a deep faith in Jesus Christ, his Lord, to test our testimony. It's also to increase our endurance. To increase our endurance, the word endurance is made up of two Greek words that mean to remain under. To remain under, to stay put in trials and testing until its purpose has been accomplished. God, why are you doing this? He says, because I want to build your spiritual wind. I want to build your spiritual endurance. I want you to remain under the situation until I accomplish my purpose in your life. Why does he say that he wants us to remain under it? Here's why. Because our natural tendency is to do what? It's to run from it. I don't like pain, I'm going to run. We're having problems financially, and I don't like the pain that goes with it, so let's keep borrowing and borrowing and borrowing against credit so that we don't have to feel the pain, at least now. Let's go ahead, and when we finally get to the end of all of it, and we borrowed everything that we can, and we still haven't made the adjustments that we should have and taken care of the debt that we should have, and it's way over our head now, you know what? I don't like the pain anymore. I know. Let's file bankruptcy. That's a good idea. And then the world looks at Christians that don't honor their debts and say, wow, you know what, is that what it means to be a Christian? And God says, no, it's not. So don't look at them because they are giving you a misguided or a misinterpretation mis uh, of what it means. What would Jesus do? Yeah, he would have borrowed against credit and then he would have went bankrupt because it was uncomfortable. Or the illness that we struggle with. We don't want to go to a doctor because we don't want to hear what the doctor has to say. Why? Because he's going to tell us something we don't want to hear and then we're going to have to deal with something we'd rather ignore. Guys, specifically, talking to us, I don't want to hear that. I'm not going to remain under that. I'm going to run from it. Oh, and then let's go to marriage. Difficulties, trials, testing. Oh, it hurts. It's painful. It worked for a while. Let's just be friends and part our ways. What? The point is, all too often, we do not develop spiritual endurance and ultimately spiritual maturity because we do not remain under the trial or test long enough for God to accomplish His purposes. We are to submit to God's trials the way a patient submits to a surgeon. I hate hospitals. I hate not the person of a doctor, not the person of a surgeon. 
I just don't like the whole idea. And so it was with much regret or, or, or hesitancy that when I had this thing growing on my eye and I went to see my ophthalmologist and he said, hey man, you got to cut that out. I said, but I'm not doing anything. He said, no, no, we got to cut that out. I was hoping there was something I could have cut out to avoid having it cut out. And he goes, well, set it up as an outpatient thing. See, the word patient grabbed a hold of me, and, and out isn't a real comfort either. <laughs> so we arrange the day, go to Western Medical Center, I lay down on the table, and he starts strapping me down. Now, I'm not digging on that. The strapping me down. It's like, do you have to strap me down? He's there, yeah, I really do. Trust me. Then he puts a white sheet over me with just a little hole like that. And I have a very limited view of what's going on in my world at that particular moment. But I got this sheet over me, which is never a real comforting thing when they put the sheet on until I found the hole, man. I was worried about what exactly it was that I had. But then he's standing above me, and I'm strapped in, and about 50 minutes worth of verse regurgitation. Every verse I ever read, every passage I ever read, every scripture that ever came to mind, and after about an hour, I ran out. And he looked at me and said, are you okay? I said, No. I am not okay. I need some air. Bad. But I couldn't do anything other than just give him that look in an eye that didn't even work because he put stuff in it. And I was like... So he slid the sheet and he stuck this oxygen thing in there and I got air that was blowing. Kind of like in here, you know, how hot and stuffy it gets and you need some air. I needed air bad. And I will guarantee you this. If the man had not, who's here today... And I, I, and I have forgiven him. But if, if, the man, if the man had not strapped me down, as soon as the sheet went on, I would have been off that table. But he had to strap me down. So then I'm thinking, what a great spiritual illustration. I wasn't thinking that then. I was thinking, hey, can you go a little faster? But at the same time, make sure you do a good job. And don't forget, you got a real sharp instrument near my eye. But it was like, you know, I would have run from that. I would have rather ignored that. I would have rather it went away on its own. But you know what he said? It isn't going to go away, and it's going to get bigger, and ultimately it's going to affect your eyesight. So you know what? Now's a good time to kind of do what you got to do and get it resolved. And you see, if we are wise enough as human beings to recognize and understand that, how much more intelligent is our God? He says, I want you to remain under the trial or the test so that we can produce together spiritual endurance in your life. Like exercise or weightlifting or jogging or whatever, there's a point where we've got to build up spiritual endurance just as we build up physical endurance. We need to be more disciplined. See, if we're more disciplined, listen to me, if you are more disciplined in the physical world, you will also understand the importance of being more disciplined in the spiritual world. If you can understand that you need to build up a base before you can build upon that which you're pursuing, you don't start out trying to bench press 500 pounds if you haven't lifted weights ever. You start out with maybe five if you're lucky. 
and you build up. You don't go run and start running a marathon if you can't even walk to the mailbox and get your mail without running out of gas. You know, you want to start by going to the mailbox first, walking around the block next, maybe walking a mile, walk running a couple of miles. There's a process that we have to go through in order to build physical endurance. You know what? Trials and testings are the process that God takes his children through to bring about what? Spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity. And let endurance have its perfect result. The result is what? Becoming spiritually mature. Spiritually mature. You follow that? Never ever forget, God's goal for his children is that we mature and become responsible, productive men and women of faith. And the only way that I have found in the Bible that God is able to do that is through his spiritual workout program called Trials and Testings. That's it. There's no fast track to spiritual growth. God's desire is that we are conformed into the image and likeness of his son. God's desire is that you and I become more like Jesus every day. And as we do, we produce those who ultimately become more like Jesus every day and we make a huge impact in this world. God's desire is that you and I are to be perfect just as our Heavenly Father is perfect. And I love how God does these things in the world around us to introduce or reinforce these truths. If you recall last week, I said it's God's desire or his standard that you and I as believers become conformed to the image of Christ, that we become disciples so we can make disciples, that we, are, that we, that we become spiritually and, and uh, mature adults, that we live according to the standard that God sets us, which is perfect, perfection and we don't lower the bar. And I used a bunch of illustrations to try to get that across. And here's the awesome thing about God. That very day, I'm flipping through the TV and I happen to run across a sports program. Now, I'm not into sports normally, but I happen to, to run across this sporting event, and I get to see the end of a baseball game at Yankee Stadium, and on the mound is a guy named David Cohn, and he's about to become the 16th perfect game in the history of Major League Baseball. And we see a pop-up, and we see Scott Brosh's third baseman catch the ball, and everybody goes nuts because he achieved perfection. It was only the 16th perfect game out of really literally thousands and thousands and thousands of games that have been played. But the point is this. It is the goal of every pitcher to pitch a perfect game. And every time they go on the mound, they are not satisfied with anything less. It should be the goal of every believer to live according to the light that God has given us, according to the truth and the word of God, to live according to his standards and his perfection, to live the life that God has called us to live. And it should be our goal every time we get up in the morning and we step on the mound of life to live a perfect, godly, Christ-like life in the world around us. Stop being content to live at this level when his standard is, I want you to live up here. Spiritual, mature people realize that every day they get up that they are a disciple of Jesus Christ. In every situation that they are in, they ask the question, what in this circumstance would my teacher do right now? What would Jesus say? What would he do? Some of us are like the, the young person who's asked what they want to do when they grow up, and they said, well, I want to be a doctor. So, oh, great. You go, yeah, but I don't want to go to school that long. Oh, Really? You want to be a doctor, but you don't want to go to school that long. And we laugh about it. But you know what? I talk to many of us who are believers and say, you know what? I want to be a spiritually mature Christian, but I don't want to go through trials and testing. I'd rather 
you know, pass go, go straight to spiritual maturity. Where's that on the board? It's not there. It's only there after trials and testing. Say, God, the reasons for our trials are this, to test your testimony to the world around you and also your own heart so that you know what's in your heart. See, Job learned things about his heart that he didn't recognize until he finally went through it. You know what, Job thought a little too highly of himself. He thought, you know what, I'm a pretty righteous guy. I'm blameless. I haven't done anything. I pray for my kids all the time. Man, I'm a pretty good dude. You know, by the end of all of it, he said this, you know what, though, Lord, when I see you, I put my hand over my mouth and it's time for me to shut up. When I see you, it's time for me to drop on my face and throw dust and ashes over my body because I need to repent and I need to confess my sin. I'm not who I think I am in light of you who are perfect. See, it also increases our endurance and achieves spiritual maturity. You ever watch, like, the Discovery Channel? See, I'm a well-rounded guy. Um, <laughs> You ever, you ever see like the Discovery Channel and they show like a, you know, slow motion photography of, of a butterfly trying to get out of a cocoon? I was thinking about, you know, you ever see like all the struggles that they go through? It's like, man, you know, and there's, a, you know, and there's the cameraman watching this thing just like time delay, trying to bust out and it's busting out and it's stuck and it can't get out and its head pops out and then it goes, then, uh, then it's coming. And it's like, man, you just want to go, can you just help the thing get out? Because there's a game on the other channel. But, but it's like, nah, there's no one helping that butterfly get out. And you know the reason that you don't help a butterfly get out of the cocoon? Because if you do, it'll die. It needs to go through the process so that its wings will be strong enough to support it through flight. Some of us are in the cocoon and we're struggling to get out, but it's part of the process and God says to those around us, man, don't help that person necessarily try to get out of what God's trying to do in their life because he's trying to produce spiritual maturity. So now we close with this. What should be our response to all of this? Four commands. These, not, these are not options. If we are to be doers of the word, jot these down, pay attention, listen up, put them into application, do them immediately. Start right now and certainly don't wait beyond the rest of the day. Number one, what should be our response to trials? First of all, we are to count it or consider it all joy. We are to consider it all joy. Count as it means to evaluate as a financial term. It means sit down and evaluate it, consider it carefully. It means to look at it from a balance sheet standpoint and consider it all joy. Consider it joy. Why? Because we know that God is in control. We know that God is at work. We know that what we're going through right now, if God didn't want us to go through it, he was more than powerful enough to stop it if he had chosen to do so, but he didn't, he allowed it to happen. I want you to understand something. Satan went to God and asked permission to attack Job. He could not do it because even Satan said, no wonder he loves you, look at all you're doing for him, and in fact, you even have a hedge around him, you're protecting him. Pull back your protection and I will go after him and he will curse you. And God said, no, he won't. You can do what I allow you to do and nothing more. You can take these things away from him, but you cannot take his life. Wow. We can consider it all joy. Why? Because God's in control. He knows what he's doing. He doesn't make mistakes. You and I go through what we go through because God is in control and his purposes will be accomplished. And not only that, but we must count it. Count what? We must count, meaning that we must count it joyful, even Jesus, you realize, he endured the cross. He, he despised the shame. He endured the cross. Why? For the joy that was set before him. Hebrews chapter 12. 
He went through what he went through. He endured what he went through because he knew that ultimately the end result was that for those who put their faith and trust in him, that their sins would be forgiven and they would spend eternity fellowshipping with God for the joy that was set before him, which was our forgiveness and his return to his glory in heaven. Jesus went through all of that because he knew the end result. You and I are to remain under the pressure and the trials and the testings because we too can have confidence that the end result will certainly be worth what we're going through on a temporary basis. We need to count it all joy and we need to know. We need to know that the testing of our faith produces endurance. We need to have an understanding mind and that comes through the knowledge of the word of God. I can know that God is in control I can know that he's testing my faith, that he's testing my testimony before the world around me. I know that he also has a reason for all of this. I know, I know these things. I know he's going to produce in, in, the spiritual maturity from endurance. I know that. And so I can be joyful because I know the end result is going to be good, and it's going to be good for me in my walk with Christ. I also realize this, that we must let. He says, let, but let, but let God... Let endurance, in verse 4, have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, mature, lacking in nothing. You've got to let God do it. Don't jump off the table and try to run down the hallway. Let God do what he wants to do in your life. And that's a surrendering of the will. Here's a prayer that I just want to throw out and you consider it, and that's this. When you are going through times of trials and testing, the prayer that you should pray in, in, in similar terms is, Lord, I want you to do... I will let you do, I will allow you to do whatever it is that you want to do to bring about my spiritual maturity. Because I know that your goal for me is that I will become conformed into the image of your son. And if this is what it takes to get there, you can do whatever you want to do. I'm not going to fight you. I'm not going to curse you. I'm not going to run from you. I'm not going to leave you or forsake you towards something that seems more comfortable, I'm going to stay exactly where I am, and I'm going to let you, the good physician, scalp, put that scalpel on me and cut out whatever imperfections that are in my life that you need. I want to allow you to do that because I know that I'm going to build endurance and I'm going to have what you're requiring of my life to be spiritually mature. And the last thing is this. We need to ask. We need to ask. Ask what? Hey, ask, Lord, I need wisdom. I don't know what it is, and the prayer continues, Lord, I don't know what it is that you're trying to teach me through all this. I need wisdom. Lord, I don't know what it is that you want us to do through all of this, but I need wisdom. That was a prayer that my wife and I had as she left to go to be with her mother. Lord, we don't know what we're supposed to do. We don't know how to deal with this trial or this testing or these things that come along, but we do know this that if any of us ask of you for wisdom, that you will give it to us without reproach, without criticism. You will give us whatever we need. And that's exactly the promise. You will give it to us generously without reproach. But Lord, you know what? I'm not asking doubting. I'm not going to doubt because I trust you. I know you. And I'm going to look forward to what you're going to do. And in verse 12, we read this, is the end result of all of our trials and all of our tribulations and all of our suffering. And that is, blessed is a man. Isn't that a great truth? If we don't run away from our trials and our testing, it's like going to school. At the end of all the, all the tests, and at the end of all the papers, and at the end of all the examinations, if we don't quit and drop out, then there's a day coming 
where with pride we can walk across the stage and we can shake hands with the president of the university and he hands us our diploma because we've run the course, we finished, we finished what we started out to do, and we have ultimately ended up with that reward in our hand. In that case, it's a diploma, but in the case of God, it is this, that we will receive the crown of life to those who love him. Do you know how you and I enter into a deeper and more loving relationship with the Lord? When we go through trials and tests and we come out the other side, our love for Christ grows deeper and deeper. And that's the only program that God has to bring about spiritual growth. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for these trials and these tests that we go through in order that you produce endurance in our life, ultimately to bring us to a spiritual maturity that you want of each one of us. God, may we never question what it is you're doing in our life. We can question and ask you for the wisdom to know how to respond and how to handle it and how we can be used by you in the midst of all of it. But Lord, we just thank you. We just want to thank you and we want to praise you. Just as a cocoon str- a butterfly struggles to get out of a cocoon and the end result is a beautiful creation, we realize that there's trials and tribulations in this world. But we love the words of our Lord who said, in this world we have trials and tribulations, but do not fear, for I have overcome the world. Father, we just thank you, and we love you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.